0: Africa, rise and shine Africa, source Africa, amuka na unai
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41m band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19m band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Moussa, Jalani Toulon, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa rise and shine at the Sawa... Kenyan opposition leader vows not to participate in repeat election. The WHO launches new guidelines to tackle child obesity, and South Africa releases new coin in honor of struggle icon O.R. Tambo. In economics news, Vodacom faces probe into abuse of market dominance, and in sports news, Bangladesh lose open tam, opener Tamim to thigh injury but first up the news with Anne Moussa
2: a very good morning to you I'm Anne Moussa thousands of people have marched through the streets of Togo's capital Lomé to demand that President Fonga Singbe step down The government, in response to the protests, says proposing an overhaul of the constitution, under which presidential terms would be limited to two five-year terms in office. Hundreds of people were killed in the aftermath of Nassimbe's contested election win in 2005, and shortly afterwards he pledged to reintroduce the two-term limits his father, the former president, had scrapped. Leaders of the biggest political groups in the European Parliament have criticized the Catalan authorities and warned them of the dangers of making a unilateral declaration of independence from Spain. The leader of the center right European People's Party, Manfred Weber, has accused pro independence politicians in Catalonia of dividing the country.
3: We have shaped our democratic societies based on three principles democracy. Respect for the rule of law and human rights. The three need each other. They cannot exclude each other. You cannot use one against the other. If you remove one pillar, then the others will fall too. Spaniards from Catalonia, Aragon, Castalia were
0: living together in one country over centuries peacefully and now... An irresponsible government in Catalonia is splitting the country. The Spanish legal situation is clear.
2: At least 17 people have drowned in a boat ferrying. Around 60 passengers capsized in northwest Nigeria. The National Emergency Management says... The boat smashed into a tree trunk in the rain-swollen River Niger on Tuesday. Seventeen passengers were rescued by emergency workers and local divers. The boat had left Babo village in Kebi state and was heading to Tetebo village in neighbouring Niger state in central Nigeria when the accident happened. Last month, 74 people were killed in three separate boat capsizes in northern Nigeria. South Africa's Western Cape Department of Social Development and various anti-trafficking organizations have held a silent protest against human trafficking in Cape Town. Their protest forms part of Human Trafficking Awareness Week. Department spokesperson Sihlion Gobese says their message is clear, humans are not for sale. says South Africa continues to be a source, transit and destination country for victims of trafficking.
4: The Department of Social Development nationally dealt with 220 cases of human trafficking last year. So this is a major problem and that's why the Department remains committed to the fight against human trafficking. The Department has allocated $27.7 for shelter services under the Victim Empowerment Program through a growing network of 16 shelters across the province.
2: And finally, the girlfriend of Stephen Paddock, the gunman who killed 58 people and himself in Las Vegas on Sunday, says she had no idea what he was planning. Marilou Danel was in the Philippines when Paddock opened fire on a music festival from his hotel room. The FBI flew her back to the U.S. to question her. She's described Paddock as kind and quiet. The BBC's David Willis has more on the investigation.
5: The man leading the investigation, Sheriff Joe Lombardo, said Paddock had booked a room overlooking another outdoor music festival in the city a week earlier and suggested he might have been planning an earlier attack. Given the quantity of weapons that were found in Paddock's possession after the shooting, the sheriff said it was difficult to believe that he acted alone. And that's
2: the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time.
1: Thank you, Anne. It is 8.05 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's switch things up this morning. Let's go back in time today to the year 1990. The leader of South Africa's Inkata Freedom Party, Inkosi Mangosutu Buthelezi, refused to attend a meeting organized by the African National Congress and other five homeland leaders to discuss ways of ending the violence. Buthelezi snubbed the meeting because he had repeatedly called for talks between himself and Nelson Mandela in his capacity as the leader of the IFP to find ways and means of dealing with their supporters and ensure that there is peace in affected areas. This scheduled meeting infuriated Butelezi because he felt that the ANC undermined his calls for such a meeting and the issue at stake concerned his party and the ANC not the other leaders invited that's today in history in the year nineteen ninety
0: this is channel africa south africa's official international public radio station on shortwave internet and satellite from an african perspective listen to channel africa in english kiswahili french silozi portuguese and chinyanja informing the world about Africa
1: Leader of Kenya's main opposition party, Raila Odinga, has verbally attacked the country's electoral commission for failing to fire top officials that played a pivotal part in in the August 8th presidential election, which was nullified by the country's Supreme Court. Odinga says he will not participate in the election that is likely to be rigged on the 26th of this month. James Shimangula has more
4: the political atmosphere continues to remain volatile in kenya where the main opposition group national super alliance in short nasa wants the total overhaul of the electoral commission before repeat presidential election on the 26th of this month speaking at a press conference in nairobi on wednesday Odinga made it clear that he is not ready to take part in an election that will produce the same results like the ones that were announced in August when Uhuru Kenyatta was declared the victor. Odinga says the only way of assuring that the elections are free and fair is the quick removal of top officials of the Electoral Commission and replacement of their colleagues that were responsible for illegalities and irregularities that were cited by the Supreme Court when it nullified Kenyatta's victory? There is still
6: a big gap between us and the IBC. We told them to close that gap. They are still unable to close that gap. So, Jubilee is saying. We have come here, we will now come back on the 27th for the certificate. We are not trying to take Jubilee to the altar, so that we can go and then share that they have got a marriage. So ask IBC, please address yourself to specific issues raised in our document, which is titled Reducible Minimums.
4: Raila Odinga, leader of Kenya's opposition National Super Alliance. Meanwhile, the Secretary-General of the National Christian Council of Kenya, Peter Karanja, has asked Parliament not to pass amended electoral laws, saying it were better if such laws were passed after the election. One of the laws allows manual counting of votes at polling stations if the electronic method fails to work.
0: Jubilee should consider holding back on those amendments. Are We cross the 26th of October and hold the elections. Then in a less explosive environment, in a bipartisan way, parliament will consider proposed amendments and others. The program committee calls upon the top leadership of Jubilee party and the National Super Alliance to drop their hardline positions regarding the management of the fresh presidential elections and seek what is best for the people of Kenya. Failure to hold the fresh presidential elections within the timeline set by the Constitution in line with the Supreme Court ruling, will take this country into a scenario fraught with danger and uncertainty.
4: That was Secretary General of the National Council of Churches of Kenya, emphasizing that the new electoral laws should not be passed now, but after the repeat presidential election. He also wants the two political giants, Raila Odinga and Uhuru Kenyatta to meet and iron out their political differences amicably. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula.
1: Let's go back in time to today in 1984. The Space Shuttle Challenger blasted off from the Kennedy Space Center on an eight-day mission. The crew included Catherine D. Sullivan, who became the first American woman to walk in space, and Mark Garneau, the first Canadian astronaut. That's today in history in the year 1984. <laughs>
7: We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives.
1: Auditing firm KPMG may still survive the controversy surrounding the so-called South African Revenue Service's rogue intelligence unit report in South Africa. The report led to the dismantling of the intelligence unit at SARS and the departure of numerous senior staff members and experienced forensic investigators. No less than six companies have stopped using the firm as its auditors in the wake of the scandal. Candace Nolan reports.
8: Amidst reports that KPMG's major South African clients were reviewing their relationship with the firm, there was speculation that the auditing firm might lose major clients. The Council of the University of the Witwatersrand announced its decision not to renew contracts with KPMG for internal auditing and risk management services. WIT's Vice-Chancellor, Adam Habib. This
9: decision was made
3: after long and hard deliberations. We acknowledge that KPMG did take some actions, including the release of its CEO and other senior partners to mitigate reputational damage. We felt that the University of Advaitisran cannot continue its relationship with KPMG. We would have preferred had it recognised and acknowledged its ethical and legal lapses and if it had embarked on a programme to correct the wrongs that have been done to individuals and
10: institutions.
8: Author and commentator on African business, Victor Homeswana.
10: Now the big four firms, that is KPMG, PwC, Deloitte, and EY, they render a clutch of services, including external audit, which is what comes at the end of the financial year, and then internal audit. You can say it's part of day-to-day management and controls. Internal auditors will depend on the work of
8: external auditors. Changing auditors is nothing out of the ordinary.
10: And by law. These days, most companies and organizations have to rotate their external auditors anyway. And if you are audited by PwC and you are changing, you are not likely to go and pick up a small firm with three or five partners, which means some of the work that would, by statutory requirement, be dropped by some of the firms, KPMG will be able to pick it up.
8: A newspaper reported that SARS wanted to have KPMG's contracts with all state entities reviewed
10: companies are getting on the bandwagon. I saw somewhere that mining companies and a bank, I think Investec, were reviewing their relationships with KPMG. Reviewing could mean anything. It could mean you call in the client service partners or even the managing partner or the CEO and ask them questions to get more clarity about what really happened, but mostly what the firm intends to do. To correct the situation
8: Trouble started brewing after KPMG withdrew its investigation into the so-called rogue unit at SARS. The CEO stepped down as well as seven other senior executives. home Eswana says this only relates to one client.
10: It's very difficult to draw conclusions on what happened in one or two or even three accounts to use that to decide what you do in a hundred thousand other accounts all over the world. So I don't know. It looks like it's gaining popularity, but I don't think it's gaining popularity at the level that the original advocates of this were hoping.
8: Hormu Weswana says this is a much-needed wake-up call for the auditing profession.
10: But I would not make this a KPMG problem. I will insist that it's a matter of people prevailing and wanting to get their way and in the process using partners in some of these firms or professionals who can easily be influenced or corrupted. People who were working on this account allowing themselves to be compromised. Therefore, I wouldn't say it wouldn't come unscathed, but at the same time, it's not the demise of the firm as I see it, but time will tell.
8: KPMG was unavailable for comment at the time of broadcast. I'm Candace Nolan in Johannesburg.
10: 22 days to go
4: the 100th birthday of the late
0: Reginald Oliver Tambo. Hashtag the year of Orto. In
11: 1981 at a women's conference in the Angolan capital of Luanda, Oliver Reginald Tambo, as an advocate for gender equality, said, The mobilization of the people into active resistance and struggle for liberation demands the energies of women no less than of men as confirmation of the resolve of of the South African National Liberation Movement.
1: It's a 16 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The new coins to commemorate 100 years since the birth of South African liberation stalwart Oliver Tambo have been launched in Johannesburg. The event to introduce the new coins to members of the public was hosted yesterday by the South African Mint and the South African Reserve Bank. Tambo, along with Nelson Mandela and Walter Susulu, were the founding members of the ANC Youth League in 1943, becoming its first national secretary and a member of the national executive in 1948. Dumeet managing director of South African Mint, has more on the significance of the newly launched coins.
12: We've got a, you know, the the main coin that we're making is a five coin, which uh, is actually depicting the order of uh, the friends of our Tambo, and as you would know, um, the order of uh, friendship of O R Tambo is given out to friends of uh, of the South African nation and of the South African government. And this is what you will see on uh, the sovereign coin. It's very significant because uh, this is the way in which uh, the order is the manner in which our government has chosen to preserve our Tambo's legacy. And so on this coin, we're honoring that particular legacy that the government has recognized. We've also issued a uh, 50 rand base metal coin that is uh, collectible and made in uh, limited quantities of 50,000. And this is a coin that is very affordable for members of the public in South Africa. Coins have typically, um, you know, been made in silver and in gold, and that has made them quite a lot uh, less accessible and uh, not affordable enough. So with a base metal, 50 rand, um, which will probably be sold at a price of around 100 rand. It's the first for South Africa that we are able to issue coins that an ordinary member of the public can actually purchase a commemorative uh, a commemorative coin. Very very important that we do this in the year uh, that the first issue of such a coin uh, commemorates our Tambo, who, as you have already said, an icon of our democracy, a great uh, Star stalwart, and uh, somebody that uh, whose values we continue. to to espouse Uh, in South Africa values such as integrity and non-racialism and so on. Um, And then we also have a silver coin that is uh, in limited quantities of uh, 10000 slightly more expensive, but still fairly accessible because it's silver. Again, all these coins would have the face of uh, Oaktambo at various stages of his life. Sure. also a gold coin for that uh, purpose.
13: Now,
0: when are these coins going to be available to the public circulation-wise, uh, Mr. Tetra? The
12: thousand uh, coin will start going into circulation almost immediately, uh, will be issued through um, normal channels. So when you go to the shop, you should expect that you should now be... Uh, starting to get um an or tumble five runs in the form of change the uh, collectible coins the basement one that i said is a 50 run and the silver and the gold will be available from the 27th of october
0: now what are the plans uh, for this year on the part of sa mint uh, mr celtzo uh, can we expect more commemorative coin series to be launched
12: the year coin of uh, OR Tambo are part of uh, what we call South African celebrations. And for this year, our theme is the 100th of uh, OR Tambo. Sure. That's the main theme for our South African celebrations for this year.
1: That was Dumi Managing Director of South African Mint, speaking to Channel Africa's Kumbele Munjelele. An estimated 41 million children under five years old are obese or overweight, UN health experts warned on Wednesday at the launch of new guidelines to tackle what they have called a global epidemic. Faced with evidence indicating that the problem affects rich and poor countries alike, the World Health Organization has released details on how trained professionals can better identify youngsters in need of help. The just-published guidelines include counselling and dieting, an assessment of eating habits along with weight and height measurements. Failing to heed these recommendations may leave vulnerable children at an increased risk of dying young from a range of life-threatening diseases. The agency's Dr. Francesco Branca, Director of the Department of Nutrition for Health and Development, told Daniel Johnson.
9: Well, we have now about 41 million children who are overweight in the under five in the world. And about uh, half of them are in countries with low income. We have uh, 20 million in Africa who are overweight. This is related to the fact that the quality of infant feeding uh, is poor, so children do not get enough breastfeeding. Uh, they don't have the right complementary food.
5: So presumably you welcome approaches by governments which are looking to cut sugary drinks, for example. That kind of initiative is obviously very welcome, and certainly for parents who don't want to see their children suffer from premature death linked to overweight and being obese. But also, what other initiatives are you recommending from the World Health Organization?
9: Well, today we're launching a guideline that explains how to handle undernutrition and overweight in primary care environment. So until now, community health workers were trained to look for children with growth failure or with undernutrition. Nowadays, we're telling them that they have to measure weight and height of children, but they may also find children who are overweight. And that leads to counseling to improve uh, breastfeeding rates, but also to have adequate complementary feeding and Healthy diets, but it's not only about response in the health sector. It's response in the food environment, and the WHO is recommending that, for example, schools provide adequate food. It also, recommends that sugar-sweetened beverages are made less appealing by reduction of marketing by taxation uh, and by having clear labels that indicate that those products should be consumed sparingly.
5: And you also said in the new guidelines from the World Health Organization, what I thought was interesting was that in the same household you might have a malnourished child who suffers from stunting and you also might have an overweight or obese parent. How is that possible?
9: Malnutrition is responsible for the lack of resilience to changes in the food environment. So a malnourished child would be more susceptible to gaining more weight when exposed to a food environment which is high in fat, sugar, for example. So the food system is unable to provide the right nutritious foods with the right content of vitamin and mineral, for example, but is too rich of cheap calories provided by sugar and fat.
5: Yes, and I suppose it would help if all of us paid a bit more attention to what we ate. You know, at the end of the day, you're a bit hungry, you reach for something sugary because it's quick, it's easy. What is the real message? Is the real message that parents should be paying more attention to what they're putting in their mouths, in their stomachs?
9: Well, the real message is that the food environment has to be changed. The food environment depends uh, on what is offered. Yeah, personal choice is important. So education, information and parents' responsibilities are important. But if the food which is at hand and available is not the right one, is not the right price, then those wise choices cannot be implemented, particularly in low income groups. So we're advocating for a greater governmental responsibility in establishing this food environment and in regulating the system such that people get the right choice at the right price.
5: And final question to you, how can people really assess where they are on the overweight or obese scale?
9: Well, in the children, uh, and this is important to happen early in life, uh, it's by having uh, weight and height measured, uh, there are growth charts uh, and uh, health workers should be able to advise uh, on where somebody is. For adults, we have a measure of obesity which uh, is a ratio between uh, weight and height called the body mass index and uh, it's very easy to find ways to calculate that, to have uh, BMI calculators whenever somebody is about 25 of that index, then we're in the area of overweight.
1: And that was the WHO's Director of the Department of Nutrition for Health and Development, Dr. Francesco Branca, speaking to Daniel Johnson. It is 8.26 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Over the past 30 years, the number of annual weather-related disasters – has nearly tripled and economic losses have increased five times. Those were the words of the United Nations Secretary-General who travels this weekend to various Caribbean states that have been devastated by a series of hurricanes that also affected the southern United States. Two Category 5 and one Category 4 storm in a matter of weeks caused massive devastation to several island states, among them Antigua, Barbuda and Dominica, which the Secretary-General will visit. Show and Bryce peace Report.
13: The structures on the island of Barbuda are 95% damaged, leaving scores homeless after Category 5 Irma hit in early September. Dominica also devastated after Category 5 Maria, which also caused havoc elsewhere, including the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico. UN Chief Antonio Guterres.
3: We are strongly committing to helping small island states, and indeed all countries, to adapt to inevitable climate impacts, to increase the pace of recovery, and to strengthen resilience overall. Innovating financing mechanisms will be crucial in enabling countries like the Caribbean ones to cope with external shocks of such significant magnitude. We know that the world has the tools, the technologies, and the wealth to address climate change, but we must show more determination in moving towards a green, clean, and sustainable energy future.
13: Scientists, politicians and bureaucrats are at pains not to link any single event with climate change, but what we are seeing today is what the models have predicted, greater intensity. For example, Hurricane Irma, which devastated Barbuda, was a Category 5 for three consecutive days, the longest on satellite record. Hurricane Irma's winds reached 300 km per hour for 37 hours, the longest on record at that level of intensity while Hurricane Harvey set a new record for rainfall in the continental United States.
3: A warmer climate turbocharges the intensity of hurricanes. Instead of dissipating, they pick up fuel as they move across the ocean. The melting of glaciers and the thermal expansion of the seas means bigger storm surges. And with more and more people living on coastlines, the damage is and will be much greater. Scientific models have long predicted an increase in the number of Category 4 and 5 hurricanes. This is precisely what is happening, and even sooner than expected.
13: The existing Paris Climate Change Agreement would at best keep temperature rises below 3 degrees Celsius, far short of keeping it below the desired 1.5 degrees Celsius mark.
3: The Paris Agreement is indeed the best foundation for the future. Countries are asked to uh, make their own commitments, as you know, and it was clear from the beginning that those commitments will need to be enhanced in order to be able to have a uh, a rise in the temperatures below 2, and uh, if possible, at 1.5. If one looks at the Paris Agreement uh, as it is, uh, we will probably reach about 3 degrees. So it's clear we need more, but this was clear from the beginning.
13: The UN has launched an appeal of $113 million to cover immediate humanitarian needs in the region, but the response to date has been poor. I'm Sherwin Bricepies in New York.
1: It's 8.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Anne Moussa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The headlines, an ambush on a joint U.S. Niger patrol has left several soldiers dead as fears increase that a conf- that conflict in neighboring Mali is spilling over the African nation's border. Thousands of people marched in Togo's capital, Lomé, to demand that President Fornya Singbe step down. And at least 17 people have drowned when a boat ferrying around 60 passengers capsized in northwest Nigeria. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: Thank you, Anne. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now, a week ago, Saudi Arabian women were given the right to drive, a move described as a testament to the bravery of women activists who have been campaigning for years against the ban. The decree signed by King Salman Bin Abdulaziz Al Saud said that women would be allowed to drive in accordance with the Islamic laws. A high-level committee composed of officials from the Ministries of Interior, Finance, Labour and Social Development was set up to look into implementation mechanisms within 30 days. The decree will however not enter into force before the 23rd of June in 2018. The decision has however won praise in some quarters and discontent in others. Joining us on the line to talk more about this is Director of the Afro Middle East Centre Naeem Gina, Naeem, thank you so much for joining us. Now, is this really a victory? Is this success um, after so many years?
7: Well, I think we should start by saying Saudi Arabia, welcome to 1917 rather than 2017. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, it, 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 it uh, indicates uh, a few political changes as well that have been taking place uh, in, in Saudi Arabia. So, um, You know, up to now, uh, there has been a kind of um, um, quiet agreement between an extremely conservative uh, religious establishment and the the, uh, monarchy. Um, The agreement is that the monarchy essentially implements uh, the very conservative position taken by the religious establishment, and in return, um, the religious clerical establishment gives political support, or rather theological support, uh, for the monarchy. And that's how things have been going on. Um, in the recent past, um, there's some attempts by some people within the Royal Assembly to, um, to stretch that uh, agreement a bit. And I think that this is, uh, this is part, of, uh, part of that movement, um, uh, particularly by, I mean, the decree was made by King Salman but really everyone knows that it's his, uh, it's his 35-year-old son that's running the place, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, um, who has a whole range of objectives that have nothing to do with women or women's rights, uh, but political objectives that have to do with the region, um, that have to do with uh, its relationship, uh, Saudi's relationship with the USA, etc., and for all of these reasons, this kind of strong uh, link with the religious establishment is not useful. And so he's stretching those, uh, those links in, in this kind of way. Um, the, the decree itself, of course, is you know, everyone focuses on the, on the driving issue, which is uh, the most colorful, I suppose, of it. Uh, but, but it includes a few other things about um, a, a mixing of men and women in public places, etc., restrictions that have been uh, relaxed somewhat.
1: Now, let's speak about uh, Vision 2030, which is um, the King's son's uh, Vision 2030 plan to improve Saudi Arabia's international reputation and, uh, by extension, its economy. This Is, is this the political um, negotiation card or system that you are talking about? The fact that um, this decree really has more to do with... Uh, that system, rather than the empowerment of women, and this is what a lot of the critics have come out and said about it.
7: Yes, it, it's about winning, uh, winning support for for that. And uh, let's make no mistake. I mean, the, that uh, uh, plan for 2030, which is being lauded by certainly many commentators in in, in the West, um, is a plan that ultimately will remove a, no, a number of the. The, the, the social protection that is provided to Saudi citizens uh, and particularly those in impoverished parts of Saudi Arabia we don't think of Saudi Arabia as having poor people but uh, you know, particularly in the east and other places the impoverished Saudi uh, Saudi citizens will have a worse off time uh, with this 2030 plan uh, than they do now. It's all about free enterprise, it's about uh, building capitalism in, in Saudi Arabia and as part of that um, you know, uh, Mohammed bin Salman needs to make his state look a little more, shall we say, modern. Um, it's very difficult to, to seem modern if you uh, don't allow women to drive and, and that kind of thing. So, as I, as I said. It's uh, it's political rather than anything
1: to do with women. Now, Naeem, let's speak about some of the the, the technical issues, basically, where, yes, around the world, the issue of equal rights for women um, basically holds a powerful place in any country. And, uh, you know, just little things. Yes, the decree was announced and uh, the implementation, uh, we're looking at the 23rd of June in 2018. Technical issues where uh, a woman in Saudi Arabia has to be accompanied by a male figure or a male guardian or a husband, a brother or a father. How is this going to work?
7: Well, that, that's unclear at the moment. Um, you know, if, if a woman drives, does she have to have um, the Arabic term uh, mahram with her if she's going to drive? Which means that then she's not, uh, you know, able to drive on her own anyway. Um I'm, you know, as I say, it's unclear. It hasn't been uh, um, uh, clarified properly. Um, however, there are many instances in Saudi Arabia at the moment when women are not allowed to drive, um, when particularly upper-class women um, you know, go from place to place with, uh, with their male drivers. Um, What about
1: the the, the normal people, the normal women who don't uh, come from the upper class or who don't have access to um, uh, chauffeur drivers and things like
7: that? Well, in countries like uh, Saudi Arabia, which are very authoritarian, um, laws are usually made for the upper classes. Uh, The lower classes uh, suffer the harshness of, of those laws more than the upper uh, up classes do. And so your question, you know, pointing to that exactly, that uh, for, for lower uh, uh, socioeconomic classes and... Uh I'm not even talking about the working class here, but lower middle class uh, would have it more difficult than, than the upper class uh, women would chauffeurs, etc.
1: Naeem, this is definitely a developing story that we will be watching and come the 23rd of June in 2018, um, at least we'll know, know more and have a better direction as it is uh, supposed to be implemented. Thank you so much for joining us.
7: Let's not expect a revolution in June 20th. <laughs> <laughs> we need
1: to be positive. <laughs> Thank you, Naeem. We'll leave it there for Bye-bye. now. And that was uh, Naeem Gina, director of the Afro Middle East Center, joining us on the line.
8: The third
10: annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum conference takes place in Cape Town, South Africa. The two-day event from the 5th to the 6th of October promises to ignite fundamental changes in Africa's socio-economic landscape. Channel Africa will be there to bring you the happenings live. Join us as we and the Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum push forward the economic empowerment of women who have historically been sidelined and disregarded in predominantly patriarchal and tribal societies. Listen to Channel Africa on the 5th and the 6th of October channel africa the african perspective Perspective.
1: It's 8.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 2009. World Teachers Day was inaugurated by UNESCO and Education International at the International Conference on Education with the primary intention to focus public attention on the work of teachers that's today in history in the year two thousand and nine
7: we have great news for you channel Africa has gone mobile if you have a cell phone you can now download the mobile app for Android you can get it on Google Play get the latest news from Africa get the channel Africa app channel Africa bringing you the African Perspectives.
1: There's no silver bullet to resolving the stock income dip disparities in sub-Saharan Africa. That's the view of the chief economist for the UN Development Programme in Africa, Oyoduele Odolusa, who points to the Tree of Equity in its latest report, which outlines policy changes needed to promote income equality on the continent. The report reveals that despite solid economic progress over the past 25 years, poverty is still very high when compared to other developing regions. Odolusa Lusa told Natalie Hutchinson that nurturing what he calls the seed of equality will yield optimism for the future.
6: Income inequality, in terms of how it relates to people on the ground, is about not you know, having what is needed to really uh, do the basic life and on the basis of what others in the environment have. You see a situation, income inequality can be in form of some are living in affluence, while majority don't even have anything for survival at all.
8: In the recent report, there was the astounding statistic that ten of the 19 countries that are the most unequal in the world are from Africa. How do you maintain optimism for improvement on the African continent in this regard?
6: We said 10 out of 19 most unequal countries in the world are in Africa, and again, there are seven outlier countries, including. South Africa, Botswana, Namibia, Zambia, Comoros, and uh, Lesotho, as well as the Central African Republic. Now, the optimism is that once you remove the seven outliers, all other African countries perform almost at the world average. There is no silver bullet. What we're suggesting is that the impl- nurturing and planting seed of equity will require a kind of holistic approach where you focus on growth that is inclusive, you focus on population that is not ridden in poverty, you focus on human development by investing heavily in access to quality education and health, Uh, investing heavily on youth and girls as well as women and at the same time having effective social protections on the ground.
8: Can you maybe provide a definition for the tree of equity for those of us who might not know what it is?
6: tree of equity is just telling us the kind of policies that are needed to promote equity in Africa. And it's a kind of tree that is built on four branches. The growth branch, what we talk about modernizing agriculture. The branch that deals with population is about managing your, uh, what we call, uh, fertility rate. Then when it comes to human development, that's the one I said you have to invest heavily on youth and women and children and at the same time promote quality education, quality health system, and effective social protection. The last branch of the tree of equity is about good governance. There is nothing we can achieve without good governance. It involves making sure that you promote equitable access to national facilities, infrastructures like roads, like water, like electricity. This, these are the elements of Tree of Equity in Africa.
8: So after the introduction of the SDGs two years ago, how do you see the goals impacting the issue of income inequality in the region?
6: The overarching objective of the SDGs is to leave no one behind. So it's now generating momentum. People are now looking at the differences and the divergences between the haves and the have-nots in communities because once you are able to address that, it has multiplier effect because inequality is considered to be an integrator with series of multipliers. Once you are able to reduce inequality, you will be able to achieve so many of the SDGs because it has positive effect on them.
8: And what are some of the root causes of income inequality and what has the UN done so far? to diminish that
6: you have most African economies are divided between modern and informal sectors the modern sector is very small and employs very small highly skilled people with high income whereas the largest sector the informal sector employs so many the largest population the largest segment of the population with very weak capacity to generate income so because of this the gap between the small former and the wide, large spectrum of informal creates high level of inequality. It reduces the power of economic growth to impact on improved living conditions. It-
1: that was uh, Ayoduele Odolusa, chief economist for the UN Development Programme in Africa, speaking to UN Radio's Natalie Hutchinson. Our economics update up next was Jolani Tulo.
11: Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Representatives of South Africa's branch of international auditing firm KPMG are expected to appear before Parliament's financial watchdog Scopa on Wednesday. This in the wake of the scandal around the firm which recently withdrew a controversial report on the South African Revenue Service and, f- and forced several of its senior South African executives to resign. Scopa earlier said that it would call KPMG to clarify its conduct and justify why it should continue doing business with the state. The independent and Regulatory Board for Auditors met with KPMG executives last week to question the firm on its work for companies linked to the Gupta family which is friends with Preston Jacob Zuma. South Africa's cell phone company Vodacom says it will follow. It followed due processes in bidding for a contract to provide mobile phone services to the government. Chief Executive Shamil Yuseb was reacting after the Competition Commission announced it had started investigating Vodacom for abuse of market dominance. The probe comes after the firm secured an exclusive contract to provide e-mobile services to the South African government. The commission says it has information showing that 20 government departments Will be subjected to the new Vodacom contract. The European Union has ordered internet giant Amazon to pay 250 million US dollars in back taxes to Luxembourg. European Competition Commissioner Margaret Festage says Luxembourg has given Amazon illegal tax benefits. The company has denied that it owes any back taxes, the BBC's Theo Leggett reports.
5: The European Commission believes that for more than a decade, Amazon benefited from a so-called sweetheart deal from the Luxembourg government that effectively allowed it to reduce the taxes it paid in Europe. It did so by channeling a large part of its European profits into a non-taxable partnership controlled by its American parent in the form of royalty payments for using intellectual property such as the Amazon brand. This arrangement was formally approved by the Luxembourg authorities. However, the commission believes that the payments didn't reflect economic reality, and because the same deal was not offered to other companies, it was in effect an illegal subsidy.
11: Cote d'Ivoire has proposed a 2018 budget of 12 billion US dollars, a more than 4% increase on 2017. The world's top cocoa grower is predicting economic growth of 8.3%. Côte d'Ivoire emerged from a decade-long political crisis as one of the world's fastest-growing economies. However, a crash in world cocoa prices coupled with repeated army mutinies and public sector strikes dented its image as a rising African star. The budget deficit is likely to balloon to 4.5% of GDP this year. And finally, oil prices are currently stable amid expectations that Saudi Arabia and Russia would extend production cuts, although record exports... U.S. exports and the return of supply from a Libyan oil field dragged on the market. Brent crude features the international mo- benchmark for oil prices are at around $55.83 per barrel, up from three cents from the previous close. Russian President Vladimir Putin said that a pledge by the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries OPEC and other producers, including Russia, to cut oil output to boost prices could be extended to the end of 2018. Instead of expiring in March 2018, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.58 to the South African rand at 25 at 10.25 to the Botswana pula and at 9.65 to the Zambian kwacha. It is also trading at 0.75 to the British pound and at 0.85 to the euro. Gold is trading at 1,275. $73 $73 rather, and platinum at $911 an ounce. And finally, the price of burnt crude oil is at $55.87 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
1: It's 8.50 and our sports update up next was Figi White.
0: In our sports update this hour, we begin with cricket news. Bangladesh have lost their opener, Tamim Iqbal, to injury ahead of Friday's second test against South Africa in Bloemfontein in the Free State province. He's suffering from a thigh muscle tear and could be out for a month, jeopardizing his participation in a three one-day internationals against South Africa which follow the two-match test series. Tamim is to stay with the squad in South Africa for rehabilitation. Bangladesh are already without another of their leading batsmen, Shakim Al-Hassan, who asked to skip the tour to rest because of exhaustion. South Africa won the first test in Port room by 333 runs on Monday. And the Proteas bowler, Dwayne Olifir, says that he's not worried about the co- condition of the wicket at the Mangaung Oval in Bloemfontein in South Africa's Free State Province. The Proteus will play in the second Sunfoil Test match against Bangladesh on Friday. In the first Test match, they won 333 runs over Bangladesh in Elizabeth. Olifir says he believes that day one will start off slow, adding the wicket in Bloemfontein was flat two weeks ago, but
14: better now. The wicket looks totally different. Um, um, Yeah, I saw a few pictures. Um, I think day one will be a bit slow, but tennis will bounce normally in Bloom, and then it will quicken up day two, three and four. So I I think obviously playing two weeks ago, the wicket was quite flat. There wasn't much assistance, but obviously this wicket will be totally different.
0: Oli Fier says not enough test matches are played in Bloomfontein, and for him... This will be a special test as Bloemfontein is his home. He says if he and the guys follow the basics, they will reap the reward later.
14: I don't think Bloom get a lot of test matches, so I I don't know when was the last time I got a test match. But obviously be back in my own ground. Obviously very special to me um, playing in front of the Bloemfontein people. Yeah, so yeah. Yes, um, I think t- two seasons ago we played the Titans here. Obviously it was a bit on uh, on the side wickets. It was a little bit of a slope, but yes, it didn't obviously give us quite a bit of assistance for both sides of the bowlers. So at the same time, you expect the bowlers to run in to just to take all the wickets, but for, for me, it doesn't really matter, but the wicket needs to look green to take wickets. Um, I think if we just do our basics quite well, we will get the reward later
0: zambian international football star midfielder edward chelufia is set to miss the only decisive game against the super eagles of nigeria in Uyo. The Zambia national team has flown to Nigeria in preparation for the tie from their base camp in Ghana. A victory for the Super Eagles will guarantee qualifications for the Russia 2018 World Cup. Team manager Chris Chibuyev confirmed to Faz football from the team based in Accra that Sweden base Edward Chilufia will not be part of the team as his work permit matters were yet to be finalized after signing a contract on turning 18 years. An England striker, Harry Kane, says he's confident he will not be weighed down by the added responsibility of being named captain for today's World Cup qualifier against Slovenia at Wembley in England.
14: Yeah, well, it makes me very proud, you know. I think growing up as a a kid, you want to play for your country and you always dream about being captain as well, Uh, especially walking out at Wembley. That would be an amazing thing for me personally. So... um, Look, like like the like gaffer said, there's plenty of leaders in the team. Um, he said he's gonna he's gonna change it, and there's gonna be other players uh, who, are, who are gonna be given it as well to to, to see uh, how it feels. But um, yeah, for me personally, it, nothing really changes. You know, I, I'll go out there and try and do my job best for the team, uh, try and score goals, and, and of course try and win the match. Finally, tennis news.
0: Grigor Dimitrov has powered past U.S. Open semifinalist Juan Martin Del Potro 7-6, 7-5 to book his sport in the quarterfinals of the China Open. Down a break and trailing 5-2 in the second set in Beijing, Dimitrov produced some of his best tennis to reel off the next five games for his second straight set's victory over the big-saving Argentine this year. The Bulgarian, who prevailed when the pair met on Cincinnati's hard courts in August, improved his head-to-head record against Del Potro to 2 and 5 and stayed in the hunt for a place in the season ending ATP tour finals in London next month. That's Sport News this hour. Africa rise and shine. Africa Zola. Africa Amuka Na Unai
1: Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine that the Sawa King and opposition leader vows not to participate in repeat election WHO launches new guidelines to tackle child obesity and South Africa releases new coin in honour of struggle icon Oar Tambo That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today For myself, Lulu Gabu Producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Selina Ntobong and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.ca or tweet us at Rasha Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 57930 or WhatsApp on 277-630-03327. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news, on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa, is Chima Music featuring Black Motion with the song title, Take Me Away.